Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. So we've been looking at these seven I am statements, and Jesus makes his last one. And we're going to start with verse 1 and read all the way down to verse 12. So it's more than I normally read, but I want us to get the whole context of what's going on. Are you guys ready? Here we go. It says, verse 1 says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. So, verse 4, remain in me. Some of your Bibles may say, abide in me. It says, when you do this, I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you what? Remain in me. Verse 5 says, yes, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words do what? Remain in you. You may ask for anything that you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you will be my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. A few more verses. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Oh, he makes a statement again. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Two more verses. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my love, yes, or with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Let's say this together, to love each other in the same way I have loved you. That's a lot. I want to cover this whole ground because I want us to get the whole picture of what's going on here. This is like, this is Jesus's last conversation with his disciples. And you want to pay close attention to someone's last words, their final farewell, their last conversation. And so you see in these several chapters from 14 to about 17, he's having this conversation. And then he spends chapters 16 and 17 praying for his disciples. And it's the last of the seven statements. And really, this is the most intimate one because all the other ones you heard me say last week, he made in the presence of other people. But this one, he's just making to his to his guys. He's just making to those that he's walked with the longest and the closest. So we want to pay close attention. And he's using a very, very familiar illustration. So he's using the reference and the illustration of the grapes and the grapevine. Um, and 
the disciples are making a connection because this is something that's familiar. The, you know, grapevine and grapes are mentioned more than any other fruit, any other plant in scripture, and much so because it was very prevalent in this area. And even the Old Testament makes reference to the nation of Israel or God's people being a vineyard, being a vine. And, and we also know that there is, that when they went in, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, as spies, they brought back grapes and grape vines. And so we, we look here and we know that this is, this is a very familiar illustration that Jesus is using. But the difference between this one and the other statements, the other six statements, Jesus is talking about who he is to them. But he flips it and he does say, I am the vine. But then he flips it and says, you have a responsibility that I want to do some things in your life and I want to produce some things in your life. But in order for that to happen, you have a responsibility. And so he makes these two phrases, remain in me and produce fruit. We see it over and over and over in these 12 passages, remain in me and you will produce fruit. And so we're going to look at these two and and how does this apply to you and I in walking out and living in relation and connection to these six previous statements that Jesus has made. And and the Greek word is mano, not like Kylie Mano. Those of you taking it way back to the eighties, nobody remembers, right? No. No, mano, and it means to abide, to stay with, to remain in. And so he makes this statement multiple times. So it's important. He says, remain in me. And he says, when you do that, you will produce fruit. Some of your Bibles may say abide in me, or instead of produce fruit, it says bear fruit. Same thing. But he gives two examples of this type of fruit that we're supposed to produce. He says it should be much fruit, that when you remain in me, you will produce not just a little fruit, not just fruit for a day, but much fruit. And he says it's not fruit that's going to spoil, but he says it's what? It's lasting fruit in verse 16. He says, when you remain and you, you obey my commands, when you remain in my love and in my words, and you remain by obeying my commands, you will produce much fruit, and you will produce fruit that lasts, fruit that lasts beyond our years and our breath on this planet. So my, my wife decided this past week that, that she was going to start a new, a new challenge. And it was just like kind of a spur of the moment. And those are always the best, right? Like, hey, we're going to do this. No. And so if you've ever walked through the produce section of a grocery store, there's fruit there that you've probably never bought, right? Um, there's fruit there that you've probably never tried, and so there's like dragon fruit and star fruit, and it's really expensive. And so she decided that we were going to start a new challenge once a week that we were going to try a new fruit. And so she bought this, and, and I don't know that I'll pronounce it right. She bought this pepino melon. Yeah, <laughs> this pepino melon, not, not pepperoni melon, but it's, it's almost like an egg, and it was like real soft. And, and you, I had to look up a YouTube video of how to peel it because I've never had one in my home. Like, how do you eat this? And so it's basically a combination between a cucumber and a honeydew melon. And I don't eat either one of those. But we all had to try it. Thankfully, it wasn't very big. And so we peeled it, we skinned it, and we had to get the seeds out and we sliced it up. And I don't try things like 
often. And it was, this was a $3 piece of fruit, y'all. You can get a whole bag of apples and oranges for $3. This was like, would fit in the palm of your hand for $3. And so we cut it up and we sliced it and I just, just get it down as quick as I can. And so next week we're going to try star fruit, or no dragon fruit. It's $8 a piece. Anybody ever had dragon fruit? Okay, I want to talk to you before so I can prep myself, all right? But we obviously know in reading this, Jesus isn't talking about like apples and oranges and dragon fruit and star fruit. He's talking about the fruit that we produce as believers, as disciples, and that looks very different. And, and we, we need to understand that, that our fruit in our lives, guys, it is our attitudes, it's our actions, in the most basic level, it's, it's how we relate to people. It's how we interact with people. And when, when you see an orange, you know what kind of tree it came from. It came from what? An orange tree, obviously. Come on. If you see an apple, you know that it came from an apple tree. If you see a watermelon, it came from what kind of tree? It didn't. All right. We got one person that got. All right. It didn't. But, but we can recognize where that fruit came from by its fruit. And so we are marked when we think about fruit as disciples, um, as followers of Jesus. It is our actions. It's our attitudes. Galatians 5.22 talks about fruit being this, and it's a familiar verse. And the scripture says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm going to read those again. It produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so I want us to ask ourselves, not about people that we know, but about ourselves. What is our fruit? And when someone says the word orange tree, we automatically think of an orange. Someone says the words apple tree, we automatically think of an apple. When someone says your name, what is the fruit they think of? I'm let that settle because I didn't like some of the answers I was giving myself as I was even preparing for this message. When someone says your name, what is the fruit that immediately comes to mind? Is it, is it love or is it jealousy? Is it joy? Is it peace or is it strife? Is it patience or impatience? Is it kindness or is it selfishness? Is it goodness? Is it faithfulness or uncommittedness? Is it gentleness or harshness? Is it self-control or is it whatever? And so I'm not, I'm not judging, but I'm asking us to inspect our fruit because any fruit that gets put out at, at the grocery store, it gets inspected before it gets put, put out, right? And so we need to make sure that we're taking time in our walk with God, that we are inspecting our fruit. And even, even so much, so not that we get the glory from the production of our fruit, but so that we are giving him the glory. And so that when we profess ourselves as Christians and going to church, but our fruit doesn't match up with what we believe that it should, we're not taking away from him. Does that make sense? I know that may settle a little heavy, but I think it's important that we go and we inspect our fruit because we have to understand this. Fruit in our life isn't for the vine. If you think the fruit that's on a tree, it's not for the tree. 
It's for those that are partaking of the tree. The fruit of the vine is not for the vine. It's for those that are partaking of the vine. And so the fruit in our life is not just for us, but it's for those that God has placed us in the life of those around us. And so that's why it's important that we do a fruit inspection, maybe almost daily. And God's like, as your pastor, I'm standing here and I'm saying, yep, there's not a lot of joy in my life sometimes. I can be patient on the outside, but on the inside, I am not. Self-control, I struggle in that area when it comes to like little Debbies and Easter candy, but in other areas. And so we need to look and see what is our fruit because the fruit that we produce doesn't necessarily just affect us, but it impacts those that God has placed us in the life of. And so the fruit is not, it's not health and wealth. It's not living a stress-free, problem-free life, but it's making sure that we have a life that is marked by love, joy, these, these fruits of the Spirit. Now, I want us to look at this. The first part of that verse says, who produces that? Who produces that fruit in our life? Do we do it? No, the Holy Spirit does it. And see, the command was this, all right, to be on the screen. Like, we're not commanded to produce fruit, We're commanded to remain. Jesus doesn't say, guys, I need to make sure that you're producing this fruit in your life because people are gonna follow me based on the fruit in your life. He's saying, no, I need you to remain in me. And as you remain in me, then you will produce the fruit. And so many times we try to change our behavior. And you hear me say this a lot if you make Avenue Church your home. We try to change our behavior, but God wants to change our heart. And it's only by changing our heart that he changes our fruit We can't change the fruit. The Holy Spirit changes the fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. And we can try, try, try really hard to to be patient and produce peace. But if we're not remaining and connected to the vine, that's not going to be evident for long. There's not going to be much of it. You're going to run out pretty quick. And it's not going to last very long. It's going to get rotten pretty quick because you're not connected to the source. It says, we're not commanded to produce fruit. We're commanded to remain. Here's why. And he makes it plain and simple. Plain and simple in verse five. He says, yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So first thing he says, staying connected produces fruit. But he says, if you do not For apart from me, you can do what? What? Nothing. Do you know what that means? I looked it up. Nothing. (laughs) All right. It means nothing. It means nothing. He didn't say something. He didn't say you could do a little bit. Disconnected from him, being disconnected from the vine produces nothing. Nothing that will last, nothing that will feed, nothing that will that will bring him glory, that will feed you, that will absolutely nothing. When we are disconnected, not just disconnected from church or community, but when we are disconnected from our relationship with Jesus, we produce nothing. And so it's more important that we focus on remaining and being connected than it is focusing on producing fruit because Producing fruit is a byproduct of being connected. You guys picking up what I'm putting down, all right? 
So we're going to look at three ways, three ways Jesus tells us this is how we remain. And it's basic. It's simple. And I will always come back with the simple because the simple is not easy. The simple is hard. If it weren't so, we wouldn't see Jesus saying it over and over and over again. We wouldn't see Peter in his letters to the churches saying it over and over and over again to remain in Jesus, to abide, to stay with. The first one, he says this, he says, he says, remain in me and my words remain in you. We have to know what Jesus says. We have to know what Jesus says. If we don't know what Jesus says, then we're not remaining in him. How do we do that? Well, we start with God's word. We start with God's word reading it. We start with God's word meditating on it, memorizing it. And when we do that, here's what happens. Here's the cool thing. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 and then again in John chapter 16 that he's going to send us help that he's going to send an advocate, he's going to send a reminder, he's going to send the Holy Spirit that will do two things, do one of two things. One, he's going to remind us of what Jesus has already said, but we can't be reminded of something that we don't already know. And we talked about this at our Bible study last Monday night, that, that sometimes in the moment, you don't know what to say, and the scripture just kind of comes out of nowhere, for the moment that you're in, or maybe to give a word of encouragement to somebody else, you know how that works. That works because you put the word in there and the Holy Spirit reminded you of it. And so if you're gonna know what Jesus said, you start with reading it and then he does the work of reminding us what he said. And then he also says, the Holy Spirit will tell you what I say, which means that we serve a God that is still speaking today that he speaks through his word, but that he also speaks through other people. And, and when he speaks through someone else, because you know what he said, you know what he's saying. Does that make sense? When he speaks through someone else, it will, it will connect and it will be in agreement with what you've already put on the inside of you. And see, we're, we're always looking for, for someone to give us a word at times. Man, I just wish God would just encourage me, send somebody my way. And maybe he has, but he's speaking something that he's already said, but you don't hear it because you don't know what he said. You guys picking up? So we need to know what Jesus says so that we can do the second part. Do what Jesus says. Verse 10, he says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in me. So we, re we remain when we know what Jesus says, and we remain when we do what Jesus says. And that is simple words. We talked about this at the beginning of, of this whole journey. It's walking in obedience and being obedient. And, and I love how Francis Chan puts it. And this is, this is some, sometimes how the church and Christians, we, we respond when God tells us something. We want to do a word study on it. And we want to memorize it. We want to pray about it. We want to talk about it. And Jesus just wants us to go do it. It wouldn't work that way in my house. And this is how Francis describes it. It would, it, it would be like me telling my daughter, hey, go clean your room. And she goes upstairs, comes down an hour or two later. It's like, dad, I heard what you said. And I memorized it. <laughs> you told me, you said, you said, Go clean your room. Yeah, that's, that's what I said, but did you do it? Okay, 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 okay. And she goes back upstairs, and she comes back downstairs. She's like, Dad, Dad, I took what you said, and I looked it up in the Greek, and, and I did this word study, and, and you know what you told me to do in Greek? It still says, go clean your room. It's the coolest thing. And I'm like, but did you do what I said? 
It's like, no. And so she goes upstairs and she FaceTimes some of her friends and, and they get in and, and they're, they're all talking about, hey, my dad told me to clean my room. Really? My dad told me to clean my room too? What do you think he meant by it? I don't know. I think maybe he meant like I needed to get some stuff out from under my bed. Let me do that. And, and she comes back downstairs and she's like, dad, I just had this incredible conversation with my friends. And we talked about how important it is for me to clean my room. And, and one day, like, we're going to get our room super clean. But I'm like, did you clean your room? What did I ask you to do? But guys, is that not what we do with God sometimes? <laughs> like he tells us to do something and we're like, all right, God, I got it. I got it. Judges 6, go with the strength that you have, for I will be with you. All right, I'll sit on that verse for two years. I've got it memorized. We come back, and we're like, God, I got it. This, this is kind of what I feel like. He's like, just go. How hard is it? Just go do it. And here's what we do. We keep running up and down the stairs, coming back for just a check-in, coming back for just a check-in. And he's wanting us to go do that so that we can come back, and he can take us to another level to not do something more or greater, but just so that we can be more obedient in the next in the next thing. And I had this conversation, I've had this conversation multiple times and I've had it with myself. And we have these people who maybe are going through, going through life and they've got a decision to make. And a lot of times the question that I will ask them is, well, what did God tell you to do? And a lot of times there'll be a long pause on the other side of the line, right? There'll be a long pause on the other side of the line. And, and I'll be like, well, have you talked to him about it? He's like, no, I don't want to talk to him about it because I know what he'll tell me to do. I just want to go do what I want to do and then go talk to him afterwards and have him help me fix it. Anybody ever done that? Like, you know, like I need to go have a conversation and I know what God's going to tell me to do in that conversation. So I avoid the conversation. Maybe you do that with like people like naturally. You're just like, I know I need to have a conversation with them and it's not gonna go well, so I'm just gonna avoid it. No, it's just a nine thing on the Enneagram. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do that with guys like, yeah, I know we need to talk, but we'll talk later, right? But we have to have the conversation, the hard conversation, so that we don't make the decision, do the opposite of what God would tell us to do, and then come back afterwards and say, God, can you fix this? He's like, I wouldn't have to if you just would've listened to me the first time if you would have had the conversation, if you would just remain, if you would just abide, if you would know what I'm saying and then do what I'm saying, you would remain and you would produce fruit. So he says, remain in me by knowing what I say. Remain in me by doing what I say. And this is where he levels up on us. He says, remain in me, verse 12. He says, uh, I chose you. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So what does that look like? He goes on in verse 13. He says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And when you look at the conversation early on in the disciples' relationship with him and as, as they're learning, as they're traveling, he, he, he makes the statement and reminds him of the commandment that you are to love your neighbor, how? As yourself. And then he gets to the end. We're like, okay, I can do that. I can, I can treat people how they want to be treated. I can treat people how I would like to be treated. But then he goes one step further here at the end of the conversation with his disciples on the last night. He says, I don't want you just to love others as you want to be loved, but I want you to love others as I have loved you. 
And I look at our world and where we're at now and our society and our culture and a lot of the stuff that's wrong and a lot of it can be boiled down to is we've become very selfish. We want our way on our time. We want our voice to be heard, but we don't wanna listen. Everybody's got something to say, but nobody wants to listen. We wanna take care of ourselves instead of helping others. We see this in the news. We see this in politics. We see this down the street at our house and we just close ourselves off because we want to take care of ourselves. Jesus sets a completely different example. He laid down his life for others and I love the way Philippians 2, Paul writes. He, he, he describes, he says this, is, is, there any, is there any peace? Is there any joy? Is there any of this by being connected with Christ? He says, "When do me this favor. Don't just think only of yourselves, but think of others also. And he, he uses Christ as, as the ultimate example of, of he left his position in heaven. He left his authority, his power in heaven, and he humbled himself and submitted himself to the Father's will by being obedient to what God wanted him to do. So much so even to the cross, so much so even to death of not an honest person, but of a criminal. And I'm not saying you have to go give your life like physically for someone, but how much different would our world be if we loved like that? If we put others needs and desires. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you don't take care of your family. I'm not saying you don't take care of yourself, but let's be honest. There's times where someone's going to get in line at the grocery store and we speed up just a little bit. <laughs> Whoa. And, and, and I know that's a small thing. Like I remember being in Jackson and like in the self-checkout line and this woman comes down the hall, like down the aisle. She's like, this would be a good place to put a grocery store. And I'm like, what? Because there was a lot of people in line. You have a bag of chips and you're frustrated because you have to, like, this is a grocery store. Other people shop here. This isn't just your store. But sometimes we find ourselves having that attitude, and it's something small. But how can we, how can we build on that so that we can love others as Jesus loved us instead of being a container that just holds we're a funnel that let it flows out. We're a funnel that let it flows out. And I think sometimes it's, it's hard for us to do that because we can't fully give what we haven't fully received. And I know for me, even walking in this new season, guys, like, like I'm trying to understand God's grace to a greater degree and I'm trying to understand God's love to a greater degree and, and just understand like, like how in the world am I getting to do this? And I feel so unworthy so many days. And it's not about what I can do or can't do or have done or haven't done. And it's not about what you can do, can't do, have done or haven't done because it says that there is no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his friends. And at the end of this conversation, Jesus called his disciples friends. And when we walk in relationship with him, guess what we are? We're friends. And he's already laid down his life for us, guys. He's already laid down. And the only thing that we have to do is just remain. We don't have to work it out. We don't have to, there are responsibilities and obligations. And, but the work of fruit production is done just by remaining in relationship with him. And for some of you, you need to start that relationship.
He talks about a branch that's being severed from the vine, not producing fruit. Some of you may have been walking in a relationship with Jesus, but something happened in your life or maybe you made a choice to break yourself from that vine. Maybe he talks about, you know, he talks about that my father is the gardener and he prunes. Maybe God was wanting to do some pruning in your life and you didn't like how that felt, so you broke your branch from the vine. And he's calling you this morning to be reconnected to the vine so that you can produce fruit, to be a part of the vine so that you can remain in him. So I want us to close our eyes and I want us to bow our head and just to see where we're at this morning. For those of us who, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, today is your start. Today could be your opportunity and it's not what you have to do. It's based off what he's already done. When we say yes to Jesus, in that moment, he, he takes our life and he reconnects it to the vine and he binds it up, secures it so that we can start living off the vine. For some of you, you need to be reconnected. And that starts with saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And in that moment, just to think how that works, like he comes into our heart, he comes into our life and he begins to repair work. He doesn't do all the work at once, but, but, but he begins the repair of repairing the hurt, of covering over the, the guilt and shame, the insecurities and doing a new work in our life. And it begins by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And if that's you and you're in here today and you need to make that new relationship, I'm just gonna ask you just to raise your hand. We do this every week and we don't take it lightly. Just to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to remain in you. Maybe for the rest of us in here, awesome. Maybe for the rest of us in here that when I ask that question, if people heard your name, what fruit would they think of? Didn't like the answer. We need to do a work of coming back, remaining, knowing what Jesus says, doing what Jesus says. I want us to be a church that is known for our fruit, that nourishes people, that encourages people, that refreshes people, but not just for our church, but for you as an individual, as a believer, because the fruit in your life affects those around you. So look up here at me, look up here at me. If you raised your hand or raised your heart and you said in your spirit, Jesus, I give you my life in a moment, we're gonna pray. And it's not my words that save you, but it's yours. You get to have a conversation with the one who gave his life for you, with the one who, who loves you more than you could ever imagine more than you could ever wrap your brain around, more than you could ever understand, but you can experience it in this moment by saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I give you my life. I believe that, that, that you died for me. I believe that you were buried for me and rose again. And, and I wanna do my best to follow you. Come into my life and change me, redirect me, produce good fruit in me. And in that moment, it says that all of our sins are forgiven. It's just crazy how that works, that many of us have been striving and trying to, to be a good person. He doesn't want you just to be a good person. 
He wants you to be a saved person in a relationship with him. And so as we pray with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we pray, it's not my words, but right where you're seated, I just want you to pray, Jesus, I give you my life. So, Father, for every hand that was lifted or not lifted, for every heart that is lifted, God, for every prayer that's being made right now, your word says that you're like a father that bends down to hear his children. And so, God, I know that you're hearing their hearts and their prayers. God, I pray for those that are entering into a relationship with you this morning, that that they are understanding the, the, the weight of the work that's been done they are experiencing the height, the depth, the width, and the greatness of your love in this moment. God, help us who are your disciples to bear much fruit, to bear lasting fruit, to bear fruit that will will represent you well and nourish those around you. So Father, I ask that, that you would just be with us as we go throughout our week and watch over us and guide us and lead us and direct us. And we thank you for life change today in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap this morning.